0: You're listening to the Packer Net Podcast Network.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Clayton and I recorded this podcast uh, a couple days before the Vikings game. And since we spent the whole episode talking about how the 2023 Packers safeties have not played well all year, of course they had to go out and get interceptions for Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, and Rudy Ford all in the same game. Yeah, that happened. You know what? I'll take it. I will happily come on here every single week and pre-record a podcast talking about how somebody needs to play better if it means that they will, in fact, ball out in the next game and absolutely dominate the other team. That's a trade-off I'll take every single time. Hey, enjoy the podcast.
2: It is time. It is time. They can't be like the time. hackers?
0: No. Are you crazy? Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the PackerNet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ lady and joining me today is the one and only Clayton Bailey of Packers Total Access. Thank you for joining the show, Clayton. We're going to talk about safety. i have been promising it for a few weeks, uh, but we're going through position by position. Uh, we're looking at free agents. We're looking at who should be back. Safety, as I've been telling you for a while, and I think many people agree, one of the most um, important positions for the Packers to deal with this offseason I think we all have been frustrated with how the safety room has looked this year and if you've been listening to my show for any amount of time you know that I was um, I I had safety really high on my list throughout the whole offseason so Clayton we're hopping into this I know you have a lot of opinions on safety and the reason I wanted to have you on here in addition to just the rants that I've heard from you about the safeties we have on this roster, um, man, you were all over uh, giving Rudy Ford a lot more playing time real early before I heard anybody else talking about it. And uh, man, you nailed that one uh, crazy. He is the highest graded safety on the roster. Um, so uh, you are absolutely our safety guy. Uh, you deserve to come on here and uh, and weigh in. So uh, let's talk about this, man. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I do want to clear the air here and say
2: that I didn't sit down and watch the tape. And, and it's funny, hearing the contrast in our voices and our accents is going to be great for this. This is going to be the biggest mishmash ever. I love it. Um, I didn't sit down and, and look at the tape and go, man, Rudy Ford's a beast. I was simply following PFF data. And when someone flashes that high into the 80s, right, on a consistent basis, it's like early on, is, and you look at how bad the safeties were, you know, uh, you know, they were underperforming. I mean, when you still, when you look at the roster right now, it's insane. Like when you, when you go to the safety position on PFF, Rudy Ford, like you said, the highest graded safety at 75.4. And there was times, guys, he was peaking in the 90s. But you go down the roster, this is them in order as far as grade. Uh, Corey Valentine, however you want to say it, Shamar Jean Charles, Tariq Carpenter, Maka Abernathy, Dallin Levitt, then Adrian Amos, then Darnell Savage. And then, of course, Vernon Scott's not showing a grade, but I mean, Adrian Amos, 53.5, Darnell Savage, 48.2. Now, when I see those numbers, my initial response, JJ, is there's okay, you know, there's something PFF is missing. These this front office understands football better than PFF. Um, the player evaluation, the whole system understands um, football better than PFF. And then you go watch the tape, and it's like, I think they got it right. These guys are missing tackles. They're out of position. And the easy argument has always been on Twitter and and throughout social media is fire Joe Barry. Let's just fire Joe Barry. Get him out of here. He doesn't know what he's doing. They're lining too far off the line of scrimmage and this and that. We're finding out now that these players have a little more freedom than some of us like to believe you know I, i'd right. seen people posting in our chat yesterday jj about how um you know the coaches allow them to choose what film they want to study and i think this defense is a lot like the offense in a sense of there's a lot of uh, a lot of flexibility for the players to to do what they think they need to do you know instinctively and I think that can be a mistake that can fall on the coaches. But for the most part, I didn't watch the tape and go, "Man, Joe Barry is just lost." I found myself going, "What was the player seeing there?" So again, yeah, the reason I was uh, trumpeting for Rudy Ford is because, you know, it, I had convinced myself that now the other safeties are just playing so bad it's making Rudy look like a superstar. <laughs> but then when you look at the data. And then you go, okay, well, what kind of results is he getting on the field? He's making some crucial turnovers, you know, interceptions, for some fumbles. So that's kind of, you know, I don't want to sit here and, and pretend like I looked at, um, you know, his technique and everything and said, wow, this guy's a gem. It was just simply comparing it across the board to the other safeties on the roster. And, and Rudy really popped out to me. So I'm glad he's getting playing time. And uh, I personally would like to see him back.
0: I think the biggest surprise for all of us um this season ha- on defense just on an individual player level has got to be the drop off for for Adrian Amos this year. He's been one yeah. of the uh established veterans that you just you trusted like every single game you knew like man if there's one guy who's just going to do his job who's probably going to have some really big impact plays and and be uh, affecting and leading the guys around him, you know, you really counted on and trusted Adrian Amos and he's been downright bad this year. Overall PFF grade this season of 53.5. He has eight missed tackles on the season. Uh, Only Darnell Savage has more in the safety room. Um, Amos, the, 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 the missed tackles, I think stand out the most to me because it's, um, when you see that happen, because the safeties are like your last line of defense. And so when you see the safety whiff on a tackle, it's like, oh, this might be about to be a long day for us. Because, like, what you really need, I mean, if, if a guy has, you know, snuck through the cracks and gets to the safety, like, you really need that sure tackling. And historically, Amos has been really good at that. Um One of the things that has... Um, you know, been been in my mind a lot this year is it seems like and and you know this is maybe one of the few things that I think you could um shoulder any of the blame uh with Joe Barry um would be that Amos is spending way more time in the box this year than he has in past years. And it it's it's a hard thing to explain because it's not even something that you could really attribute to like the guys around him. It's not like, Oh, he's taking over for snaps that used to go to Darnell Savage. No, they just want a guy in the box a lot more this year. And they're putting Amos there. Now, is that causing him to play worse? Impossible for me to say, and it doesn't seem like he is, um, you know, necessarily playing at a higher level when he is playing as a true free, uh, free safety, which he normally does. But I I do have to just you know look at the fact that he's playing out of position compared to where he's been the last few years, and the fact that his play has dropped off this year. And I go, look, it's got to be either his age or moving him around, or he's got some something else personal that only he you know can be fixing. So uh, Mm. that's just something I've been thinking about. Yeah, and you know when it comes to that whole topic there.
2: one of the things that stands out to me, and, and I really don't want to bring it up because, you know, it, it got brought up in training camp and it was kind of a big issue. And there were some fans that said, you know, captains, uh, you know, the the team shouldn't choose the captains and and, you know – when I first heard that JJ, I was like, this is silly. This is like, why, why, why can't the players choose the captains? That seems like the best thing to do. And then everybody goes, Hey, you know what my teammates think these are the best leaders. I need to fall in line and, and be you know, a part of the, a part of the team here. But Adrian Amos, to the best of my knowledge was selected a captain, right? Well, they obviously pushed cap room out on him, right? He's, I think he's over, almost, almost 8 million against the cap next year. And he's not even on the roster, I think it's safe to say he's not going to come back unless he tests free agency and they absolutely uh, – he gets absolutely low-balled. Then I could see him, you know, the Packers may be making him an offer that makes sense for them. But you've got a captain running around that was elected by his teammates <clears throat> and he's essentially on a one-year deal and the team's looking like they're saying, nah, we don't want him back next year. That can cause problems. And why would he want to perform for a coaching staff that doesn't believe in him? because it kind of says that now let's remove the human element and let's just talk like these are digital figures on a Madden football field, right? <laughs> it makes sense to let him walk in free agency. He's what, 29 years old, I believe,
0: right? Uh He's about to turn
2: 30. Yep. About to turn 30. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, why would the Packers commit long-term? This was a kind of a band-aid um, into the post amos error by kicking this this can down the road a bit so you could get him back on the roster thinking he 's going to perform at the same level. I just think his heart isn 't in it you know, i haven 't heard much from him you know he 's not one of the vocal players on the team, and again uh that 's just kind of what stood out to me. but when you talk about fair market value, you know what is Amos worth like Let's look at Elton Jenkins's, and and this is according to track, and to the best of my knowledge over the cap was fairly close too. Elton Jenkins was showing that his his fair market value was going to be somewhere around or estimated market value was going to be somewhere around 14 million per year. I think the Packers came in somewhere around 16 to 17 million. They slightly overpaid Um, according to that average. I'm not saying that's my personal opinion. That's just kind of the way they looked at it. At the safety market, it's showing the top safety market to the best of my knowledge. With free agents coming up, is going to be somewhere around sixteen point seven million, right? Well, Adrian Amos's market value is showing a three-year deal at an average of six point eight million, right? That's a big gap in between there. So, yeah. would you bring him back for the six million? Well, you've got to take that six and add it on to the seven that he's on the on the hook for next year. Now you're up to thirteen million. You're in the top five of safety pay for your, well, we can, we can call it seven, but 7.95. So. <laughs> right. Pretty much eight. Right. And right. so, you know, the difference there is roughly 12 million in between. Right. That's, that's a big gap. you got to let them, you know, test free agency. And, and uh, again, when you look at it from that standpoint, in my, pos- in my opinion, Safety is a tier two position on defense. I basically got three tiers of positions, tiers of importance. Number one, hands down, is the edge position. You see when you've got someone like a Bosa, someone like a Rashawn Gary, someone like a Zadarius Smith when he was in Green Bay and at his peak. Um, they can really, really control the flow of the game. It's very important. Um, yep. that's, to me, that's the only top tier position on defense. Tier two, nose tackle middle linebacker, and free safety. Why do I look at it that way? That boundary on both sides of the field, that out-of-bounds line, they're extra defenders, right? That's that's essentially what it is. So you want the center of your defense to be the strong point. You look at the great defenses. Look at what the L.A. Rams did last year. How did they win the freaking Super Bowl? They had a monster at nose tackle, period, right? And uh, they had decent safety play, too. So defensive tackle, middle linebacker, free safety. In the third tier, I've got corner. So I definitely value free safety more than corner. When I say free safety, it's not necessarily meaning they're lining up on the opposite side of the tight end. It's simply they're playing center field. They're that last line of defense. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years of watching football is the great safeties that play that position, they they can creep into the box and they can do other things in a running game while still patrolling deep. Ed Reed, Troy Palamala, um, way back in the day, Ronnie Lott was good at it having the freedom to flow back and forth and still playing the running games. So I think it's crucial.
0: Let's talk about um, the uh, leadership again, because you, you, you made some interesting points um, that I hadn't even considered about uh, Adrian's motivation this year. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the quote unquote culture here in green Bay, you know, and, and, Obviously, we're just a couple of idiots, you know, hundreds of miles, thousands of miles away from Green Bay right now. So what do we know about what the culture inside a room is and what is culture anyways? You know, when you're winning, you have a good culture. When you're not winning, you have a bad culture because everybody's attitudes go up and down based on whether you're winning or not. However, um, what do we know about Green Bay's culture right now under Matt LaFleur? We know that he wants it to be a player culture led culture. Absolutely. Um I think I think back to uh twenty nineteen um there was a clip that was getting passed around on social media. Um and I think it was Zedarius came up to Matt LaFleur and said, Hey coach, uh the energy is is low today in practice here. Uh we need to get that energy up and LaFleur didn't do anything about it. He just looked at Z, at Z and he's like, Okay, so go do something about it. Aren't you one of the leaders of the team? And so Z went and started uh, pumping everybody up and they ended up having a really great practice that day. Um, That is Matt LaFleur's leadership style. You don't have to like it. You just have to know that's what it is. That's what he wants. And so I think it's interesting when you look at this roster and you look at who are the guys who are expected to be big leaders of the team. And and we'll just focus really just on defense because we're not talking about offense today. No question. No question. The, the guys who you expect to have the biggest impact are the highest paid guys. Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, and um, I. Rashawn Gary, I think we both agree in the next uh, couple of years, for sure, as soon as Rogers is no longer here, Rashawn Gary is probably going to be the face of the franchise, um, at least until you have you know a, a, another uh, MVP-level quarterback. Um, and Rashawn's about to get paid. So those three guys, I think, are the face of the defense. You got. Andre campbell came in um he was a, a huge impact last year just because of who he is players rallying around him and then he got paid as a result of that and you look at where the money is this is where you expect leadership um on this team and i, th- I find it interesting too if you look at uh who because because if, if you're trying to figure out um, who the players are going to respect the most and you know that they care a lot about money. Preston Smith is actually uh the uh for, for next year has the highest cap hit, you know, and, and is that really what the players are gonna be thinking about? I don't know, but he, he has a higher cap hit than or uh sorry, a um what is this? Higher he doesn't have anything. He's he's higher on this arbitrary list uh mm-hmm. that Spot Drake put out. Why is he higher than Kenny Clark? I don't know. Kenny Clark has a higher cap hit, but still Preston Smith, one of the highest paid players on the team. Anyways, you look at, look at these guys who I mentioned, and I think based on the level of play on the field, it is not always matching up one-to-one Um, over the course of this year. You know, Kenny Clark has not been playing like one of your best players. Um, Jair Alexander, uh, at times, you know, you see exactly why he got paid, what he got paid. But then there's other times when you're like, man, I don't know, you know, I wish he was a little bit more reliable on a game to game basis. Like, you know, if, if, if he's asking other guys to come follow him, uh, it would be nice if, if he was really, you know, laying it all out there. And I get that the season has been frustrating. And I, I don't think that it's that unreasonable to think that he would be, um, not playing with 110% effort out there when he feels like the offense isn't pulling their weight. But still, man, you see the way the defense starts playing when a guy like Jair is no longer given his all on the field. The whole defense starts slumping. And losing Rashawn has been a big impact there as well. But Adrian Amos is supposed to be one of those guys, and you mentioned, you know, he's a he's a lame duck player right now. He's not or a lame duck leader. He's not he's not expected to be back next year. Um, and and frankly, I mean, you know, Darnell Savage, a, another guy who uh, last year, um, especially early on in the year, was really showing a lot of leadership. Um, and, and, you know, his play was up and down. And then as the season went on, it went down and down and down. And as that went down and he finally lost his starting role, I think that losing Darnell's leadership has had a ne- negative impact on the team as well. So one of the things that I would really like to see going forward is can we get more uh, you know, respected and and, and veteran presence uh, in that safety room to kind of hold things together. You know, it's it's not really any surprise that the safeties are the worst position on this defense when there's nobody there that you feel like um, any of the young guys are going to be looking up to and, and that uh, anybody's going to be inspired by. Yeah. No, I think you make great points. And like you were said, looking at the cap hits for
2: next year. I mean, if you go down the line, Kenny Clark, 23.9. And, and again, I'm not saying cap hit is everything. It's just from a fan standpoint, it's what I narrow in on because <clears throat> I've looked like a fool, JJ, you know, three, four years ago. Going, that's all. He is not worth that money, or, you know, that's not the direction they should go in. And then you look up at two years and go, he's not even on the roster. And I don't even feel like it affected us. So I I focus on the cap hit because I feel like that's what's most important to me as a fan. But Kenny Clark, 23.9, Jair Alexander, uh, 20 million flats, what it's showing. Then Preston Smith at the 13.0. Granted, you know, 9.7 in dead cap. After next year, they can move on from Preston Smith if they want and and free up quite a bit of cap. Then you got Rashawn Gary at 10.8. Now, I want to go back to the point that you made, you know, it feeling kind of like a lame duck situation. There's only been, to the best of my knowledge, one time that that terminology has been used in the last few years, and that's when Aaron Rodgers said it. I don't want to be a lame duck quarterback, right? The the, the front office was trying to get cute. They were trying to not, – not trying to get cute. They were trying to be smart, and they thought Aaron would just kind of fall in line. He and Tay, I think, three years ago, seen – exactly what the front office was looking to do. They were looking to roll this roster over when Rodgers walked away and it was going to be man we're going to have a ton of cap, right? I think that that does bottom in the butt a bit, you know, because essentially who are the who are the two players we've talked about the most on this pod defensively? Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. Why have we talked about them? Because they're underperforming. Amos isn't on the roster next year and Savage is on a one-year deal. I mean, he's in that lame duck de- lame duck deal right now. Right. I mean, it's it it is what it is. Why would they perform at their best? Now, I think Savage can come back next year at the seven seven point nine, you know, whatever, uh, fifth year option. And he's going to be playing for a contract. There's there's going to be incentive for him to play well. Right. But again, when you look at the highest paid players, you got Devondre Campbell next. Devondre Campbell's a godsend, in my opinion. Like that dude. But when you look at those players, what do they have in common? at the top of the list, Kenny Clark, one of the quietest guys you'll ever meet, right? Yes. Yep. Preston Smith, you know, he celebrates Very quite quiet. a bit. Yeah, but he's 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 not the guy out there. You know, he's not your Mike Daniels, Zadarius Smith running his jaw, right? Jair Alexander, now he's mouthy, but I don't look at him as like a Charles Woodson type leader. Um, Rashawn Gary is the leader on that defense, and you get the Devondre Campbell quiet, right? So you've got a bunch of guys that kind of fit that mold of, "Quote unquote Packer players, where they're they're going to be, you know, going to be kind of quiet. Come to work, bring their lunch pail, put in into work, but you don't have that real vocal leader. Now, the beautiful thing about Big Dog on offense is he's quiet until he doesn't need to be, and when he speaks, people listen. You know, the old saying I, I've learned over and over and over in life, and friendship, and business, everything is the loudest person in the room typically has the least amount to say." But you don't have to be loud when you bring energy to the workday. You can show, look, I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to pick my teammates up, and this freaking matters to me. In training camp, Rashawn Gary was the one who stormed into that second-team defense and, and and getting them fired up, like, come on, guy, Like, stand up here. Stand up to the first-team offense right now. Let's go. And, you know, with with him being on the sideline, granted he's still there, um,
0: but you know, it's not, not the same. You you, know, you got to have a guy on the field playing absolutely. next to you in order we're, we're to be. Where guys are going to look
2: next? They're going to look next to him. And go, I don't want to let him down. You don't right. feel that right now. Jair's over there throwing the sword in the sheath, right? And he's doing all his uh, jawing and you know saying that Justin Jefferson was a fluke that first performance. I'm going, dude. I don't. <laughs> Maybe you're watching. I don't know, bro. I, I I long to have confidence like that one day because I always see my faults and not just the, the, the flash plays. And I don't hate Jair. It's just when that's the highest paid player outside of Kenny Clark on defense, I don't know, man. It doesn't feel like Charles Woodson out there. You remember, I love the soundbite, and I'm going to turn it back over to you, JJ. Anytime history gets brought up, I get geeked out. But the soundbite, it was either the year of the Super Bowl or the year before the Super Bowl. Uh, when the Packers went on that run in twenty ten, Charles Woodson standing on the sideline with Aaron Rodgers. I think it was in the preseason, and he said, "We got a pretty good squad here." Uh, you know, Aaron said that, and Charles said, "I don't know what you' talking about, squad or what." I, I, you know, I am talking Super Bowl, and I want to know are you going to lead me there? That's exactly what he said to a young Aaron Rodgers. You need to, like, Aaron was buying into the hype, man. This team's good, and Charles nipped it in the butt and was like, "Are you going to lead this team, or are you going to sit over here and cheerlead?" That's that's kind of the vibe I got. You gotta right. have those type of players on the field. You got to.
0: One last thing on culture, then we gotta start talking about uh these uh safety specifically and, and what this room needs to look like next year. I'll just say one thing I'm looking forward to as I'm looking at the uh top of the highest uh paid guys on this roster and, and feeling frustrated with a lack of um you know perceived leaders here. We got a crew of uh, young Georgia Bulldogs, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, uh, Eric Stokes, and there's some, some other young guys as well that, man, I'm kind of excited to see them step into leadership roles. You know, they, they come from a really, really good culture uh, in college, a culture of winning. They know what it takes to go out and win a natty. Would be uh, nice to see if if these guys have it in them they have some of that more natural leadership and, and can set those high expectations for guys around them, you know, nothing against Kenny Clark, but like you said, very quiet guy. Um, Definitely not, does not seem to be a guy who is going to get in somebody's face on the field. Now he'll come over to you uh, in the lunchroom and try and give you some, you know, put you in your place a little bit and give you a little bit of admonition or encouragement or whatever. But man, when you're out there in, in uh, the, the third quarter, And you're tired. You know, what I see from Kenny Clark is a guy who gets tired and gets, you know, kind of quiet and up in his own head. It's just like, man, I just got to get through to the end of this game. Hmm. You know what? And I, I, for, for the amount of money he's being paid, I like to see him running around and getting other guys faces and screaming at them and getting them to uh, give their all in that, in that environment. Okay. Let's talk about uh, what this room needs to look like for next year. Now, Packers do not have a ton of money. They have enough money to bring back the guys they need to. Don't worry about that. Rashawn Gary is getting paid. That should not be a concern for anybody. However, I don't think they're going to be extremely active out there in free agency. The one thing I would really like to see that they definitely do, you know, last year um, they brought in Devondre Campbell, and that was a signing that did not make much sense to me because (laughs) I thought they overpaid him. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, man, he's got some nice traits. He's very athletic, but, like, he's never been that good anywhere. And he's just a street-free agent. This is really late in the year. Why are you paying him this much money? Goody found a stud. And I think he can do it again, but he needs to do it in the safety room. Now, he's got Rudy Ford. And I like Rudy Ford, but I think you need – considerably more in the safe room than just Rudy Ford. I think Rudy is a fantastic number 3. Maybe he could be a number 2. Um, you know, we're we're seeing him put that out right now, put up that kind of production. Uh he's a little inconsistent, you know, something you'll see from Rudy is there was a stretch there where he would alternate every week, he was the highest graded player on defense one week, and then literally the lowest graded player on defense the next week. A little bit of hot and cold there, and I'm I'm just I'm looking at him. I'm like, I, I really like what you got, but I don't know that I want to make you the face of my safety room going forward. I'd like to see a little more consistency from you on on the on the uh, year, and on the year he's got a 75.4 PFF grade, which is good, not great. Um, Mm -hmm. Over the last five weeks, he has turned in one good PFF grade, and that was against Philly. Um, He had – so against Dallas, that was his big breakout game, 89.8. Follow that up against Tennessee with a 33.2. Then he had an 88.7 against Philly. Then 48.8, 52.7, 54.4. So that's three um, subpar grades in a row. You see what I'm saying? Where I like Rudy, but man, I am not I am not ready to trust him just yet. I want him out there on the field, but I need somebody who's going to lead Rudy. Um, so mm-hmm. I really want them to bring in a veteran. I also want them to uh, attack this position in the draft. I really, really liked some safeties in last year's draft, and mm-hmm. I wanted them. You know, they had two first round picks. I said, man, can we kind of do what we did in 2019? Uh, you know, and go with, with uh, you know, some uh, big boy up front with your earlier pick. And then at the back of the first round, get a guy like Lewis Seen, the way he did with Darnell Savage. I would have really liked to have seen that. And then they, they really did not address the safety position at all. Uh, we did get Tariq Carpenter, who's um, really just, a, I think, just a special teams player. He's like a hybrid linebacker safety. Has not really been able to crack the defense at all this year. And I'm not mad about that as a rookie. But I don't know that physically he has the tools that you need. He's kind of like a a little bit too small to be a linebacker, a little bit too big to be uh, too big and slow to be a safety. Um, I kind of just see him as a special teams player going forward. Maybe he can develop into something, but just looking at this roster, I, I just, I don't see anybody outside of Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford that you think have the tools to do anything next year. And you know, uh, Savage is still the lowest graded player in that safety room this year. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the
2: the captain talk for me. Like anytime you build an organization, it, it doesn't matter what the what the, the task is. You know, you're doing a, an assignment for school or you're, you know, you're whatever, uh, building a business or putting a team together in general. You've got to have a core group of guys. you got to have a core group of guys that you're going to, Build off of right now, when you look at the safety position, to me, I think you bring Rudy Ford back for the right price okay mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm looking here on uh <clears throat> over the cap and and some of the numbers are showing that they feel like his fair market value is somewhere around you know between three and a half and four and a half million per year right okay so if if you look at it from that standpoint, is he worth that kind of money you've got a guy who's the top-performing safety on your roster. Guys, that doesn't mean lock, lock Rudy Ford up for five years and that's your safety of the future. It's simply, okay, we have got to have starters on this roster and we've got to go into the offseason assuming that the the draft board's not going to fall in our direction. And if it does, great. And I, I got raked over the coals, J.J., last draft because I was talking about Kyle Hamilton and he started plummeting on the boards. And okay. I'm like, to me, Kyle Hamilton – he was a – I felt like he was a generational talent. Now, why did he drop that wonky 40-yard dash, right, the injury concerns, all those things? When you look at the tape, Kyle Hamilton was one of those safeties that I go, man, I see flashes of Ed Reed there. I see flashes of Paul And they were talking about how he couldn't, you know, get the hips flipped and get on the vertical stem, quite, you know, quite at an elite level. The guy's grading now as a 79.3 this year, his rookie year in the NFL. Like and, and it's not a small sample size of snaps. You're looking at 310 coverage snaps, 103 run defense snaps. He's even rushed a passer 25 times. He's got a pretty good sample size. He's, he's tied for third in safeties in the league for receptions allowed. He's only allowed uh, 36, to the best of my knowledge. So, I don't know, man. I feel like the Packers were kind of entering that purgatory of where we were Five ten years ago where it's, well, middle linebacker isn't important. It feels like they, they're they looking at safety right now. Like it's not important
0: now. Shoot. Again, the middle linebacker thing was just two years ago, even.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, since AJ Hawk and, and, you know, going back to the culture thing, just a touch, that was one of the players you would never get a soundbite from AJ Hawk, but when he was on the field, he was furious all the time. And he wasn't furious and yelling at teammates. It was, you're going to get my very best every single play. He's flipping the sideline off, coaches, you know, jawing at him. Like, he was just that spark plug. Like, this dude is Ohio 101. He's bringing his lunch pail. He's going to keep his head down, and he's going to drive this defense. And you take into consideration Clay Matthews on the edge with the flare and all these different things. I mean, it's – that stuff matters. And I don't mean to keep going back to it, but – I think that's kind of what's missing um, from this defense. But, yeah, when it comes to Rudy Ford, I think you try to sign him. That's what I was saying earlier in the year. As soon as he showed that he was competent at the safety level, and then I immediately go to the safety room and go, who do we got coming back? Oh, we've got nobody coming back other than Savage, basically, you know, from, from from starting experience why not throw him some guaranteed money and lock him up to a deal similar to Russell Douglas, but not quite as much, right? You know, Russell uh, against the cap next year, is 6.7, right? You could probably get Rudy Ford on a $3 million cap hit um, roughly over the next three years. If you threw the right amount of guaranteed money at him. Okay. Well, what if he, what if he uh, declines? Well, you don't have the money you had tied up in Adrian Amos with him and he can play special teams. And that's very, very valuable. I think when it comes to this roster. So, to kind of answer the question, uh, as far as starter money on defense, two defensive linemen, two edge, two linebackers, two corners, and two safeties is how – that's the bare minimum of what you should – you should pay starter money for um, at those positions. You got Savage coming back at roughly $7 million or, you know, close to 8 whatever it is. And then if you get Rudy at anywhere from 3 to $5 million per – you were way under, you know, I think I think it was showing that the, the top market was somewhere around uh, right at $17 million in free agency for the safety position. So that's a great base. And it's what I started this comment with. You've got to have a core to build around. That would be a good core start. But if you let him test free agency and you lose him in free agency, I'm with you. You better make a big splash at safety because that you've got to have somebody patrolling that center field. you've got to have it it doesn't have to be Hall of Fame material, but again, the Super Bowl year. who is the safety? Nick Collins. Yep. you've got to have that deep safety man you've got to
0: I, w- I want to look at uh, some free agent safeties and just you know spitball some stuff, but first, um I I want to a- answer one question here. And that is for any price would you want Adrian Amos back? And let's let's give a little bit of context about how he's been playing. The last uh season where he had a a really good grade was 2020. Uh in the 2021 season he started off um okay. Uh we I I do remember Uh, halfway through the 2021 season, uh, we were talking on the pod uh, about frustrations that we had with him. And like, man, it seems like both the safeties are really struggling right now. And then it started to feel like Adrian kind of turned things around a little bit. Um, And uh, in week 10 last year against Seattle, he put up his uh, only uh, elite grade of the season, 92.5. Uh, The next uh, highest-graded game he had on the season last year was an 80.4, and then he had one, two, three games in the 70s. Every other game was uh, in in the uh, mid-60s or lower, and he had a couple uh, subpar games as well. And uh, I think after that Seattle game, for me, and I think for uh, a bunch of other commentators as well, I think we kind of put Amos into a box in our brains and said, Oh yeah, he's back. He's got things figured out. Mm-hmm. He actually figured finished the season with a worse stretch than he had the beginning of the year. So in the beginning of the year, he had um, several high sixties games, a couple of seventies. He had that 80 game. And then after his 92 against Seattle, 61, 51, 55, 64, 64, 74, 60, 59. He ended the season on a not great note. And then he kind of continued that into this year. The best graded game he's had all season came in week four against the Patriots. 77.1. Oh, excuse me. Two weeks later, he had a 73.8. I missed that one. Um, nope. 77 is higher than 73. I'm an idiot. 77 was his, his best grade of the year. Um, but he had, uh, he had the, those two games that were, you know, in the, in the respectable seventies. And over the last four weeks, the uh, best game he's had was a 60.1 last week against the Rams. And, um, He's, you know, you talk about the motivation stuff and, uh, you know, him not feeling like he has a a future here, and and maybe that is impacting the way he's playing. Um, You know, maybe the fact that, you know, seeing Savage get benched maybe is is frustrating to him. You know that those guys are certainly close and that Adrian has been mentoring him, so that has to be frustrating. Um, Even if you were frustrated with the way Darnell was playing – also probably is frustrating to see him get benched. So, um, you know, or do we, do we make excuses for the way he's been playing and say, you know what, if you give him some money um, to and, and bring him back, that his level of play will uh, return to what it has been and, and that he's at least a reliable guy? Or do you just take the way he's been playing at face value and say, I don't know, man, maybe this is just who you are now. And yeah. and, and we talked about his age. He's turning 30 um in just a couple months here, you know, is this something you actually really want to, you know, roll the dice on and and bring him back because the way he's he has played this year has not been good enough. And I think that um you know the fact that we were leaning on him and depending on him this season and then the way he has fallen off, I think has really hurt the overall uh defense. You know, when he is targeted, he's allowing a passer rating on the season of one thirty five point one. That's terrible. That's horrible, and he's got three penalties on the season too. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: I, when you look at the safeties, I mean, just the safety room, you know, before they made the switch to Rudy Ford, Amos is eighty-first out of eighty-nine safeties according to PFF and overall defensive grade. Savage is eighty-fifth of eighty-nine. I mean, you you cannot get any worse. Now, like you said, Adrian Amos is turning thirty years old. Is he just magically? Going to turn it around at the age of thirty. We know what happens to football players at the age of thirty, unless they're vampires like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and anyone else, right? Like it, this is this happens. So if you go to the safety position as a whole in the NFL, defensive grades, I'm I'm going to just name the top three. <coughs> Excuse me, Ryan Neal at 85.6, Minka Fitzpatrick at 83.7. You you wonder why Pittsburgh traded the high round draft picks. If if, if I can give up a first-round pick for a starting caliber player, that's worth it to me if, if, as long as they're not, you know, approaching 30. But Mika Fitzpatrick, 83.7. Uh, Cameron Curl for Washington, um, 82.9. Antoine Winfield, 79.5. Why do I mention that? Let's go back to the age. The age of those players, I'm going to go down the top ten and, and list their age real quick. 27, 26, 23, 24. Your first 30 year old comes in at, at Tyron Matthew, the, the honey badger at 30 years old at number five, 21 years old, Kyle Hamilton, uh, 26 years old, Derwin James, 27, 23. Your next 30 year old is number 10 <clears throat> at Ron, uh, Rodney McLeod, 32.5. Guys, you got <clears> to <throat> you get younger with safety. You've got to like. Adrian Amos, I, is, as much as I've liked the guy and he's made big play after big play, you know, the previous three years, he doesn't seem to be it, man. <clears throat> this is, he's coming to the end of his career. He may sign on with someone, have a flash in the pan, have a decent year, kind of hanging on. But everything to me points to, you've got to move on from Adrian Amos. Now you asked, would you want him back for a certain price? A veteran minimum? Absolutely. Now we know how players take that. <laughs> Remember Jordy Nelson, right? And that proved to be the right move, in my opinion. And and a lot of people disagree with me. You guys know I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. That completely flipped a few years ago. I used to couldn't stand the guy. Now I'm a fan of him. When when they let Jordy go, I was kind of leaning toward what Aaron was saying of, hey, look, you know, Jordy with me is a different Jordy Nelson than somewhere else. But after he took the, you know, obviously the knee injury and then the rib injury, he was not the same player. Whatever's happened to Adrian Amos – He's not the same player. I think we signed him when he peaked, and it's time to move on unless he wants to take that veteran minimum. But again, we've seen how Jordy and, and even Aaron responded when you offer a player a veteran minimum. That's, uh, that can get ugly quick.
1: We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. Right now you can get ten percent off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's a crazy offer. Ten percent off a four hundred dollar slab pack. That's forty bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com com slash packdaddy for ten percent off your first purchase.
0: I'm looking at a couple of safeties out there um who are gonna be in a free agency, and there's a guy, man, I, I don't think that there's really any chance that the Packers are uh, gonna be able to get this guy, but man, I would love it. Uh, Taylor Rapp is about to be a free agent, and the Rams' salary cap is and has been a mess. Uh, I, I think that they will do whatever it takes to keep Taylor Rapp, but man, if there was if if there is a situation where they feel like they couldn't pay him, Taylor Rapp is extremely young. He's just coming off his rookie contract. Um, very, very good player. Uh, very dependable. This is a guy I would be very interested in bringing in and you know what? I mean, this is a, a, a defense that, uh, you know, we know we like, uh, we stole their, uh, middle linebacker coach to come be our, uh, defensive coordinator. I think there's certainly a, a strong likelihood that Matt LaFleur is going to bring Joe Barry back next year. Um, even if, if people don't want that, I think that, that that's definitely going to be something that, uh, he's considering, you know what Taylor F has been good basically his, you know, all all four years he's been in the league. um, And, and more importantly, he's ascending. Uh, This is a guy I would be uh, very interested in another uh, uh, free agent that uh, is an interesting um, guy is MJ Stewart. He's uh, with the Texans currently Uh, this is third team. He was with Tampa for, the first two years of his career was not a very good player, had one horrible year in Cleveland. And then his second year in Cleveland, he really figured things out and turned in an 83.8 overall grade. Um, And then he missed the first half of this year. He's only been playing since week eight. um, And he had a little bit of a slow start getting back this year. uh, But he seems to really be turning it on, especially these last three weeks playing pretty decent football. Um, This, this guy, um, Maybe is a little bit more of a realistic target than Taylor Rapp, um, just because you know he he has, does not have a long track record of playing very well, but he does seem to be uh, an ascending player, and he has a former second round pick. This is maybe a guy you could get a, a more discounted price than Taylor Rapp. Um, now the the biggest competition there is going to be Houston because they have all the salary cap in the world. And uh, they are, you know, trying to build around young players like MJ Stewart. So they're probably going to try and retain him. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think these these are are two guys that are very intriguing, if nothing else, because of their age and the fact that they are ascending.
2: Yeah, and you know, when you mention Taylor Rapp, he he does kind of stick out on the list as as one of the the safer free agent, you know, options. It's shown here on uh, Spo SpoTrack. His estimated average value per year, you know, they're, they're saying, you no, know, with him being 24 years old, three years of uh, 30.2 million, an average of 10 million per year. I think that's fairly reasonable seeing that, you know, Amani Hooker, um, at the top of this list as far as estimated value, and he's not going to be a free agent to the best of my knowledge till 2026, but is 16.7 million. So you got to kind of, you know, take that in consideration. Is, is Chauncey Gardner Johnson really supposed to be a free agent? Is that right? in 2023. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, which is an interesting thing. And he his uh estimated average salary by spotrick is uh 14 million. Mhm. Um so he's, you know, uh he and Rap are both from that 2019 class that uh Darnell Savage is from uh and uh you know the the, the thing about uh Chauncey um I I have always liked that he really runs his mouth and it annoys <laughs> opposing offenses um who's was, who, who was that bear um uh, what was the guy's name the the bear's wide receiver uh total idiot went over and punched him in the helmet what was that guy's <laughs> name
2: i don't know Do his name I, know, I can see the video of
0: the practice right where he <laughs> Let's see it's uh what the heck was his name i'm drawing a blank oh javon whims javon whims I think he got ejected cuz he he was so mad he went over um and uh and he tapped Chauncey on the shoulder. Chauncey turned around <laughs> and then he just <laughs> which you know he's wearing a helmet so it's like you know those fights where you're you're hitting guys and they're wearing helmets it's like okay Wow, man i I really hope that the broken bones in your hand are, are worth that because uh, that <laughs> yeah. that helmet's supposed to be uh, designed to to prevent concussions. But
2: yeah, I think that you could go and and look at every player that's ever thrown a punch against a helmet, and their score scores <laughs> probably pretty low. I would imagine.
0: That'd
2: be my guess. Um, I was trying to find Chauncey Gardner Johnson here on PFF. Now you mentioned Taylor Rapp and again, uh, Taylor Rapp's grading out as the 19th best safety at a 73.5 great and run defense. Um, really he's, he's to me when you see all the green boxes across the board, 73.5 overall, 81.2 run defense, uh, pass rush, don't really care much for it. Although Leroy Butler. Man, was he valuable in that in that regard at the safety position? Sixty seven point two and then coverage grade sixty nine point four. Boy, how low have we gotten, JJ? That you look at a sixty nine point four and go, man, I would love to have that <laughs> <laughs> safety. But yeah, I mean that that's a I could see where you're coming from there, I was trying to, like I said, pull up Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's uh, PFF He's, rate because
0: it's not popular. It's, it's, it's not good. Uh, this is the second worst year of his career. The last three years, um, which two of them were in New Orleans, and this last one is in Philly. Um, so uh, from 2020 to 2022, 60.3, 62.2, 61.6. And looking at uh, the current 2022 year, I would say the bulk of that really good grade has come from three of the last four weeks being in the Mm seventies and the rest of the year uh, been underwhelming. He had three games in the forties two games in the fifties and then one, two, three games in the sixties. He hasn't been great this year and really has not been um, super impressive since his rookie year as a saint, which we all remember uh, just how he just leapt off off the field at you. Um, he's been yeah. a bit underwhelming since then, uh, but he's he's managed to stay relevant because of how many times he can get uh, opposing offensive la- players to just lose their marbles, uh, <laughs> lose their cool, and fly off the handle and and get penalized or ejected.
2: Yeah, so I mean, it it kind of explains why he's going to get the test free agency there, man. I, I don't know JJ how you feel about PFF, but I've been talking about it at nauseum on my pod. It, it, there's been hardly any time this year where I've looked up and go, I don't know about PFF. Every time some little nugget emerges like this the fact that Chauncey Gardner Johnson is going to be a free agent. How's he going to be a free agent? He's 24 years old. How, how have they not locked him up? Oh, he's having a down year in PFF. It just always seems to line up. And with Rudy Ford, back to that, you know, I'd mention, wow, look at his PFF grade. And he's and he creating turnovers. He's playing schematically sound. All these things are lining up. And then it was, why are they not playing him over Savage? And they kept sticking with Savage. And then three weeks later, <clears throat> Rudy Ford, all of a sudden, is the starter. And it's like, PFF got it right again. Are you – like, let me let me ask you this question this way. <clears throat> yeah. From yeah, zero right. to 100, how confident are you in PFF and the data that they provide as far as determining
0: how good a player is in the National Football League? Well – I'm uh, probably about a 7. Um and and I'll tell you why. So there's a couple of things. One is there are um individual performances where I look at a player and I'll even um I'll even grade them out myself. I I put together a spreadsheet that will let you calculate a PFF grade. I shared it in our our group discord so if you ever want to use it, um let me know. I I'll get you the link over to I'm it. I'm not
2: intelligent enough, JJ. I seen it and I thought this <laughs> looks amazing. This is like the spaceship that landed in the forties out in Roswell, New Mexico, humans are like, what is this right now? All the no, goes, Clayton believes in aliens.
0: Now listen to it. It's I, super easy. You, you just go through, you, you uh, look at the plays that you want to grade and you say, all right, how do you do on this play? Uh, you know, was it, uh, you know, uh, at expectations was it a bit above expectations was it way above expectations and the reverse for you know if it's below expectations and then it'll it'll just calculate the grade based on on that you know those snaps um so there are times when i will look at individual performances um for example uh aaron Rodgers against the detroit lions this year i i don't i still have no idea how they came up with that grade I watched it. <laughs> I graded him. I thought he was horrible. I thought it was one of the worst games I'd ever see him play. And doesn't mean I hate him, but I hated what he did that day. And then they gave him like, yeah, I think he had like a 79 or an 80 grade in that game. I'm like, did you he really? Yeah. Holy but, God. uh, yeah, I disagree but, with that. but, uh, on, on the whole, um, I, I do trust their ability to, uh, to tell you how good a player has been um i just don't think it's always predictive uh you know sometimes you see guys um you know and, and i'm watching them on the field and i i see things that i think indicate how they're going to do in the future and um you know it you know i'm not just going to say that it's you know just my gut but sometimes I, I i watch some stuff and i watch effort or whatever and i think you know what this guy's been struggling but i think he's going to turn things around and, and you know, that, that kind of thing doesn't always show up in the grades. So, you know, mm-hmm. seven, eight, somewhere around there. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause you know, coming in the year, I would say I was probably about a 7.5 and,
2: uh, now I'm, I'm upwards eight and a half closing in on nine. I, I really, uh, it's a very uh, useful tool to have no question. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's. it's it used to be, well, this is better than nothing. Now I find myself going, "Hey, man, I'm I'm really starting to trust what they're putting together, with the understanding that there's human error involved, obviously." So,
0: yeah, the, the only the I, I think the, the biggest thing that that gives me any kind of pause about them is that sometimes you know you look at some of the uh, breakdowns that they give you, and they're like, "Well, here's how this guy did in uh, coverage, and here's how he did against the run." And then here's his overall grade. And you're like, I don't understand how you add these two numbers together and got the overall grade. Like he was elite in coverage and you know, he, you know, 75% of his snaps were in coverage. He was okay in run defense and your overall grade for him is okay. And it's 25% of what he did. And it, it, that's the part that I don't understand is like how they calculate that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that it makes me not trust them, but yeah. I, I look at it and I'm like, well, there's, there's part of this picture that I'm just not seeing. No, absolutely. That makes total sense. And and I'm kind of a, a
2: weirdo like that, too. I, I've got to understand every little detail before I'll even put any merit into it. I'm the guy that eight years after a show goes off the air, I'm like, man, <laughs> have you guys watched this? This is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that a decade ago. Dude. What are you talking about? So
0: uh, I'm the exact same way. And, and then, you know, nobody wants to hear about it. They're like, okay, well, right, did, yeah. did you finish you know, the show weird. yet? Do you know how it ends yet? No, I'm still in the first season. Okay. <laughs> All right, so do you agree with my with my assessment that they need to bring in somebody new as a veteran for 2023, but they also need to be drafting for the future because I don't think that they have the future on this team right now. do you, Do you agree with that, or do you think that, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm being too negative here? No, I, I
2: think it's it's you know, like I said, um, it comes down to this core that you've got to build around. If I think personally they should bring back Rudy Ford for no more than five $5 million per, okay? Um, I think they could get him for cheaper than that if the guaranteed money's right. So if you do that, then the safety room that you bring back as a starter is going to be Savage and Rudy Ford. That doesn't mean, okay, we're moving forward with them. Now you go out and you find somebody who can be that go-to safety. Um, again, you're willing to spend money um, on two safeties, starter money on two safeties. I mean, there's enough cap room within the NFL. And when it comes to the Packers, there's like 40 million in simple restructures and 70 million in maximum restructures. So let's go half of the simple restructures. We can free up $20 million in cap room, go out and throw 10 million towards someone that you Mm -hmm. can be the safety of the future. Uh, Essentially you have got to find the safety of the future now, you can go and draft one and you can sign a free agent absolutely with the way that the CBA has the, uh, you know, the the cap hits structured for rookies now. Back in the day, man, it was such a task because you had to dump all that money into that contract. But now that everything is slotted into the rookie slot scale, I just, man, I look at, I look at Kyle Hamilton. I think he was drafted 14th last year. And I was sitting there going, man, climb up the ladder and get this dude. Like, that would be, you know, it, the best time to draft a player, They everybody always says quarterback, but it's any position of importance. The best time to draft a player is when you don't need it. And, you know, I think sometimes you're kind of playing behind the uh, – behind the eight ball there in that regard. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, though. Safety has got to be a, a priority. You know, when you look at the DBs, I think I've already closed it out now, but I had the chart pulled up. Um, the only DB that's pl- that's getting paid anywhere near the money they're worth is Jair Alexander. Other than that, the whole DB room, other than, you know, Adrian Amos's dead cap hit for next year, I mean, we are underpaying for safeties. You, you can look at just about every position. And see it that way. It's it's pretty wild. Like even even the linebacker position for Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker's rookie contract, like you're you're under that line of, okay, we're definitely not overspending here. We're no we're nowhere you know, even near what we could be paying for it. Get that position locked up right now, especially if the free agent market might might heat up here a little bit and you get some some solid players because it's important, man. It's important. Like I said, it's a second-tier position for me, D-tackle, middle linebacker, free safety, meaning deep safety. Um, it's huge, and it's it's really bit the, uh, the Packers in the rear end this year. If they went to Rudy Ford earlier, I'm not suggesting that they should have because I didn't even know who Rudy Ford was. This season probably <laughs> would have went a little bit better, and I know he's not been perfect. He's been sporadic. It's funny when you look at the fair market value chart, he goes up to 4 million and comes back down to a minimum, 4 million back down to a minimum because he has been kind of up and down, but it up and downs way better than when both Amos and Savage being just down, 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 you know?
0: Yeah. And uh, you know what? One thing that, that fixes a lot of problems is if Darnell Savage does get things figured out. Mm -hmm. And You know what? He's a former first round pick. He still has all the athletic, uh, you know, tools and traits that you drafted him for I think it is really imperative that this coaching staff do whatever it takes to figure out how to unlock Darnell Savage. I'm not a big fan uh, so far of the safeties coach we brought in last year, uh, this year, last year we didn't have a safeties coach Um, this, this year uh, we promoted like a, a quality control guy to be the safeties coach. It's worked out about as well as you would think that that would work out. I think it's kind of wild that our safeties have been worse this year uh under Ryan Downer than they were last year without a safeties coach uh I would strongly be reconsidering you know and, and again we don't know Ryan in person uh we don't know you know what kind of a job he's doing coaching but we see the results on the field and I am a little bit surprised that you know nobody in the media has been asking Matt LaFleur about the safety play and about what he thinks about the job that Ryan has done. And, and, you know, I, I, I think you really could just make a pointed question and say, Hey, the safety play has not been up to standard this year. It's not been as good as it was in past years. Uh, do you think that Ryan Downer shoulders, any of the blame there? Do you think that he is equipped to uh, get the best out of these guys? And what does he need to change in order to accomplish that? I, I think that would be a good question to, pinned Mm -hmm. to out floor. I wish somebody would do that (laughs) good luck with that right (laughs)
2: but anyway that's a question for another (laughs) um yeah and and, you know when it comes to Gray Coach Gray they said that in the locker room at halftime for the Dolphins I'm sure you've heard this that maybe the listeners haven't but they said that they went in and he cussed everybody in that secondary out and then they come out and just play lots out get three interceptions pitch a shutout in the second half. Um, and he's one of those guys It goes back to culture that they said, and I think it was Rasul that might've said it, um, said, man, when, uh, when OG talks, when OG gets mad, you listen, because he's usually a kind of a quiet guy. Um, that's, that stuff. I don't know, man. It's so important, but yeah, <sighs> it's, uh, it's frustrating, man. You, you put somebody on the staff, you put them on the payroll to say, Hey, look, let's really key in on this position. And they get worse, man. That's uh. That's tough. And I don't know much about the assistant you mentioned, but, uh, if, uh, if you make a move and it gets worse, probably want to go ahead and X that off the list and move on to the next project, because <laughs> that's just wild to me that you would have an extra set of eyeballs on technique, on scheme, yeah. on, you know, uh, not just, uh, scouting opponents, but self-scouting and it get worse that, uh, that's just odd. So,
0: uh. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got the same guys in the room that you had the previous year. Um, I it's it, it, it it's a good question for Matt Lafleur, for Joe Barry. Like, where does the blame fall? Is it just on the players? Do the players just need to play better? And you know, the the this coaching staff really likes to fall on the sword and say, "Oh, it's on us. We need to coach better." Well, why aren't you coaching better? And you've had all year to to get this figured out and. You can't point to anybody who is getting better as the season goes on. I mean, even, you know, Rudy Ford came in and he had two fantastic games, you know, but has he been able to continue that sustained success? No. Is he playing as good now as he was earlier in the season? No. What is the reason for that? I, I, I will say I am I am tired of any of the coaches on the staff, and, and it's many of them. I'm tired of uh, hearing them say that they don't know why guys aren't playing well or, you know, why, uh, the team is struggling in one area or another. Look, if, if you, if you know, and you just don't want to say it to the media, that's fine. Um, I think you should have a better answer than I don't know. Maybe you say, yeah, that's something we're talking about in house. You know, the guys know what they need to execute better and, and you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do get a little bit tired of hearing the guys who are supposed to be in charge say, yeah, I, I wish I knew why we're not playing better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there's there's coaches out there who who would like your job. Just yeah. FYI, <laughs> yeah, and
2: you know I, I'm kind of indifferent in that uh, in that conversation because um, when I when I hear them say that, obviously, first of all, you can just about take what the coaches say and the pressers and think completely opposite because that's sure. just how they you know the coach speak and they they definitely don't want to go. Hey, opponents, here's what we're working on. <laughs> here's our weakness. Here's our right. strength. But right. it, it's frustrating when, when the answer is just, well, I wish I could tell you. Yeah, I got you. But um
0: how, I how about the this? tape,
2: JJ, and I'm like, that's not on the coaches. Like somebody said, well, they shouldn't yeah. they have more desire to tackle better than that the coach's job? To, these are professional athletes. If you have to motivate – I can't remember what coach it was. There was a coach somewhere. God, it might have been in Pittsburgh. I'm not I think it might have been Tomlin. I'm I'm not in the motivation business. If I have to motivate you, I will replace you. Like, you know, it's just maybe I'm putting too much on the players, but at the same time, if the coaches don't know what the issue is and how to fix it,
0: if that statement is true, why are they why are they getting paid? <laughs> any any former player I've ever talked to uh would agree with you though. You know, they, they, they put all the onus on the players right. and, and don't put a lot of emphasis on, on the, the coaches there. You know what? But I it, it, if that is how it works, then we need some players on the field who are going to be holding the guys we have accountable and holding them to a higher standard because, um, you know, if if it really just is about, well, you know, they, they just don't have the motivation and the want to, okay, well then hit the road or we need to bring somebody in who is going to uh, put the fear of God in you you know mm-hmm. you think about back to uh Reggie White and Charles Woodson and the players that we had at that point were scared to play bad because they knew Reggie was going to come find you in the locker room absolutely or just march over to your spot in the field and cuss you out right there and they were terrified of letting Reggie down, yeah you know and that yeah and it, it's it's also like you know. I don't know if you could say
2: this in 2022, I'm going to say it, but um, you're getting nervous right now going, Oh God, what's about to come out of your mouth. (laughs) But when you're at work, right. And and there's just no pride in, in anything today, everybody just kind of takes the easy way. And it's just, this is what I deserve rather than I'm going to earn it before I get it. Um, You got those coworkers that you look next to you and go, man, I don't want to, if, if I don't pull my weight, it makes their job harder. You know, you got love and respect for that person as a human being. It's, I don't want to let them down along with the, dude, he's going to eat my lunch if I don't do my part, you know? And it just, it's this changing of the guard, in my opinion, J.J., of how society has shifted to let's don't hurt anybody's feelings. And that's why I think Matt LaFleur was the right pick for the job because he is coming in with this leading with love and this and that. But although that first year, man, I will never forget, Somebody reporting at that training camp practice, one of the first training camp practices, Devontae Adams fumbled a ball. And they said LaFleur blew the whistle. This short little skinny, you know, got the got the the, the uh the beard all perfectly trimmed up. This pretty <laughs> boy blew the whistle. And Devontae Adams, the superstar Devontae Adams, he said, If you do not protect the football, you will not play for me, is what LaFleur said. And I was like, Oh, okay. Dang. That I don't see him doing that now, you know.
0: No guys get guys get a long enough leash now to uh, absolutely strangle themselves with no question about it. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I that's gotta be frustrating to the young guys on the team um, who are not getting playing time to say, you know, we talked about Mike Tomlin a few times now, but what does Mike Tomlin always say? The standard is the standard. What is the standard in green Bay? Apparently it's that uh, you can fumble four punt returns, but not five or we're gonna cut your butt. My God, and this isn't a knock on Amari. Like, I feel bad. It's for a knock Amari. on the coaching staff. Yeah, it, it, um, it's a knock on on who's setting the standard about who gets playing time. A coach, to me, a coach's responsibility, the top responsibility, is to put in the work
2: in the off off time to come up with the scheme that's going to get the most out of your players, right? And then also the second thing is to simply look at the talent, identify what they do well, what they do bad and accentuate the positive aspect of their game. They did the opposite with Amari. Like, there is not a – and I'm not the guy going, come on, man, the fans know more than the coaches. It's it's silly to think about that. But everybody was going, why are they doing this to him? Like, I felt so bad for the guy because it's like I couldn't catch a punt while 11 players are screaming down the field at me, right? But, I, you know, it's, it's like the old uh, – I don't know if you've seen the old movie Gone in 60 Seconds where the uh, – the uh the black guy on it says, uh, you can't drive, girl. I can't swim. You know what I do? I keep my black A-double out of the pool, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> if someone can't do something well, get them get out of that position. And that's what Bill Parcells said that Bill Belichick has done so well over the years. He's got this endless pool of players where he knows – that player can do this, I'll plug him right here. That player can do yep. that, I'll plug him right yep. here. And, he, and it's very rare that you look up on that defense and go, man, that's a superstar breaking the absolute bank, right? It's these, these core players that they all know their role and everybody gets so tired of hearing it, but it's the motto in New England is do your job. That doesn't mean people think the Patriot way is do your job, is shut up and do your job, I'm the boss. Outside, people from a you know fifteen thousand uh, foot bird's eye view, that's how they look at that saying. That's not what he's saying. He broke it down over and over on on tons of NFL films. Belichick said, "Do your job means just focus on the one, two, maybe three things that you need to do and be absolutely great at that." And that coaching staff they failed Amari Rogers. They, if you're yeah. watching him in practice, and your assessment is. He's a good punt returner. I'm sorry, I I, I got to question in your evaluation because you never seen it.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, and Amari had uh had multiple issues. You know, the the entire reason he was not on the offense is because there were issues with him. You know, he showed up out of shape, uh, didn't know the playbook, and so you know, they didn't give him playing time on offense. And then, bewilderingly. You know they they were like, look, you know, former third round pick, like we gotta do something with him. Let's put him on punt return, something he's literally never been good at in his life. I don't know. It it was a complete uh, botching of the situation. Um, I think that uh, it it was a bad look for the team as a whole. Obviously, hurt the offense to constantly be putting them in a bad field position, and and you're you know with all he turned the ball over enough times that you got you got. Missed possessions that certainly impacted games, and then you also got other young guys on the team. I mean, Keyshawn Nixon was begging to get return yeah. opportunities, and they didn't even listen to him; just totally ignored him. And I, I will say one thing: you and I have talked multiple times about the concept of of tanking and all that, and mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not in favor of tanking, but I will say there is a significant part of me that does not want the Packers to get into the playoffs because I don't want this coaching staff thinking that the way they have been doing business is good enough. And like, you know what, Hey, there were a few fluky things this year that kind of just didn't go our way, And that's, you know, that's why yeah. our, our win loss uh, total, you know, wasn't quite what we wanted it to be. You know what, if you miss the playoffs, that's going to uh, force you to look inward and say, are we actually doing everything that we need to, to the best of our ability to put these guys in position to succeed and to have the best 11 men on the field at all times. And I think that there are significant things that they can do better and have done better in the past. Um, and, and, and I just, I I get worried about complacency and I think that 2022 in many ways was a product of complacency in a lot of areas. And that's that's the same problem you had in 2018 as well, you know, and we clean house in, in 2018. I'm not saying we need a clean house right now. I am saying there needs to be a, a significant reevaluation inwardly by Matt LaFleur of the way that his football program is being run. Because I think that there are significant issues from the top down that are causing you to not get the best out of guys like Darnell Savage. And, and it's, you know, if I'm Brian Gudekins, I'm v- extremely frustrated at the way that uh, some of the talent I have put into your hands has been handled. Yeah, no, I completely
2: agree. Completely agree. And and just looking at, you know, we, we mentioned Keyshawn Nixon and I light up, right? I'm like,
0: <laughs> the, the fact <laughs> he that he's,
2: he wants the ball in his hands. And you see, he guys, he's doing things that I think some would say are historical numbers, like the results mm-hmm. he's getting and, and it's a it is a small sample size i'm trying to curb the enthusiasm but according to the uh the uh valuation diamond here on over the cap they're saying that his estimated value um would be 1.8 million um in free agency now i'm sorry man if we
0: sounds a little bit outdated to me
2: yeah it does it does very much so but if we don't place value on the fact that He's got a good relationship with that locker room, uh, you know, more specifically Aaron Rodgers, the guy who if he decides to come back, let's be honest, he controls what comes and goes in that locker room now. And and right. kind of going back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back around to, to Keyshawn, but going back to what you said, this feels like this coaching staff, they sat down in the offseason and in and, and the front office too and said, you know what, if we can just get Aaron back, everything's going to be okay. And then, it is what
0: it felt like. Yeah. yeah.
2: And Aaron, whether it's because of the injuries or he has hit that edge and is starting to drop off, um, you know, it, it backfired big time. And it has nothing to do with the cap hit. His cap hit is very reasonable for a four-time MVP Super Bowl winning quarterback. But um, if you go in with the <laughs> assumption that, hey, look, guys, everything's going to be fine, 12's back. Um, forget <laughs> his number one receiver, although I know Goody wanted him back and Goody did everything he could to get – Devontae Adams back man I'm going off the rails here well let me circle back to Keyshawn real quick and I'm going to ask you a question Keyshawn um you got to get him back the number I would put on him the fact that he can play defense and be that kind of an impact player on kick return and punt return I would say three to five million would be worth it you know give him a little bit of guarantee now if he hits the market he's he might he might be able to get a little chunk because there are some teams out there there are some coaching staffs out there that truly, truly value special teams. I'll tell you, one is Bill Belichick. Like, that dude has been able to hit home run after home run on kick return. You went from Wes Welker to Julian Edelman, and then to the the other guy that just recently signed somewhere else, uh, Gunnar Oshevsky. It's just mm-hmm. every single year he treats special teams equally important as offense and defense. And people think he's crazy until they win one or two games on special teams. You see the young stud this year that they drafted that's coming out. And he's, I think he's this year, he's had a, a rushing touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown, and maybe a kick return for a touchdown. I believe his name's, is it Bryant?
0: I'm trying to think Brian or Jones is his name. Uh, I actually don't know the answer to that one, but Keyshawn, I, I, I have had a consistent stance for, I mean, going back to at least 2018 that I really, really want and, and, uh, goody has never really wanted to do this i want them to have just a designated roster spot for a return specialist mm-hmm. and goody doesn't want to do that you know he wants you to also be able to play on offense or defense and i i think that you know he gets kind of antsy when he sees oh man you know there's this guy who's played you know like hardly any meaningful snaps on offense and defense all year and man i could go you know pick up a a, a fourth uh street Uh, free agent uh, tight end uh, undrafted guy and, you know, come work him out in the building for a few months. Hopefully the, you know, the uh, expanded practice squad rules that we have now um, are going to be enough of a trade-off for him that he will just go ahead and, you know, not get rid of a a Trevor Davis or um, uh, is The guy's name, Tyler Irvin type guy, Mm -hmm. you know, you see there's a, a remarkable difference between when you have a guy on the field or, I mean, on the team who just is good at doing returns versus, you know, this, this uh, uh, dog and pony show we've had going on the last few years, you know, we're, uh, you know, trying out uh Yahoo's like Trayvon Smith and uh, trying to put uh, uh, Kylan Hill out there and Amari Rogers. And yeah. Hey, let's put Christian Watson on, on return duties. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> Can yeah. you just pay Keyshawn Nixon? Right. It and won't take a ton to, to lock him up. He, you, Yeah. We sit here and talk about
2: if you can get starting caliber top 10 at these key positions, if you can get a top 10, and in my opinion, Keyshawn's at a, a minimum a top five returner and, yeah. and add him in. I mean, they were kick, like Aaron said on on the McAfee show i He's been there for you know since whatever whatever year Aaron was drafted two thousand four or five whenever it was, and he has never seen a team kick away from our returner and that's i mean come on dude that you've you've
0: got it's to have that,
2: especially when you're coming up short in other aspects of the roster out right
0: there. Yeah, you know, and, and the other thing is that he's not, like, totally useless on defense right. either. Obviously a quality special teams player, <clears throat> but you look at him on defense, and if you look at his grades over the course of the season, the first thing that sticks out to you is there's a uh, three-game stretch where he grades out in uh, the in the 30s, and that feels uh, like a big deal. And then you look and you realize he played two snaps and one snap in two of those games. Okay, <laughs> right. are we really going to – Are you, are we really going to put a lot of stock in the fact that he got a 33 grade on one fricking play? Okay. And then the, the three weeks after that, he played 66, 37 and 45 snaps. His grades over those three games, 73, 83 and 69. Now I'm not saying that he's a guy I want out there full time as a defensive starter, but he's not useless. Uh, I I think he's a a pretty darn good slot corner when he's out there. Uh, Clayton, we are way over time. Uh, we got to wrap this up. But, man, I appreciate you coming on here. I don't know how we got talking so long about return specialists on the uh, (laughs) safeties episode. Um, But but the safeties episode was uh, way overdue. um, And I'm glad that uh, you were uh, willing to come on here graciously and make time uh, to come on here and do this topic right with me. No, absolutely. It's
2: my pleasure, man. Anytime I can do anything to help anyone across the uh, the Packernet family, I do have more more than happy to help. And and we did go long because, uh, and when you get to talking ball with uh, like
0: minded people, man, time flies when you're having fun. All right, uh, follow Clayton on Twitter. That is at Packers underscore Access. Listen to Packers Total Access on the Packernet Podcast Network. Thank you, Clayton. You guys all have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you all next week.